0: Hello and welcome back to the Basic Bible Podcast. I'm your host, Kevin Thompson. And today we are beginning a new series that will take us through uh, quite some time. We're going to be talking about the doctrines of grace, or you might know them as the five points of Calvinism. And this first episode, I, I want to kind of push back against that title. There's a reason why I like to use the, the phrase uh, the doctrines of grace. I think first it's a more accurate phrase describing. Uh, the issue of salvation but also um, there's this misnomer that you know to be a quote-unquote Calvinist uh, you're someone who's focused on one person uh, the uh, the French reformer John Calvin and so we're gonna get a little historical here and I, and I wanna just start off our whole series on the right foot and, and I wanna make the claim that this is something that we get from Scripture, and not just from a person. So we want to look at church history uh, today, and to do that, we we have our resident church history expert, uh, Professor Doctor Brian Hansen. Brian, welcome back to our podcast.
1: Thank you, Kevin. It's always a pleasure to be back.
0: And you're the the assistant professor of history and theology there at Bethlehem College and Seminary, up in Minneapolis. Uh, Brian, tell us a little bit about, about the college there and, and what you do.
1: Yes, uh, we're located in Minneapolis, uh, Minnesota, in, in conjunction with Bethlehem Baptist Church. Uh, we just celebrated actually our decennial uh, 10th year hmm. anniversary. Um, last month we celebrated it, but we're actually in our 10th year running as an institution, as an accredited institution, I should say, Bethlehem College and Seminary. And uh, we have an undergraduate program. Uh, and a seminary. and I teach in, in both uh, right now, but we have approximately 200 total students between college and seminary. We offer a bachelor's degree, as well as an MDiv and a THM uh, right now. So uh, we are uh, joyfully moving on in, in our 10th year, and uh, things are, are going well. It's a pleasure to, to teach there. You
0: know, and Bethlehem does things in a particular way, which is kind of cool, um, it's not just a, the typical—you're um, going to sit with, through several professors, sit in the classroom, and and you know go through your course. Tell us a little bit about uh, how that actually works.
1: Yeah. So, unlike the traditional uh, method in many seminaries and colleges, we really stress at Bethlehem the cohort model, and what simply mean by that is when a seminary or college student is derived, they are assigned. To a mentor to a cohort leader that will be their uh, leader or their mentor for the next uh, four years of their experience, so four years in college as well as we have a four-year MDiv program. And it will be a small group of, in the seminary, it typically ranges from about seven to nine uh, per cohort in the college around uh, 10 to 15. But it's small enough that you can really interact with your professor for the next four years and to get to know your classmates in a really more um, intimate and and familial way. Uh, And our students have really thrived with that Mm. model. uh, Deep relationships that are established between professor and student as well as uh, students within uh, the cohort. Uh, And as we know, education uh, can be a rigorous thing and sometimes can be a lonely thing, but we try at Bethlehem really hard to emphasize community, camaraderie, uh, both professor-student relationship as well as uh, classmates so it's also so kind of like makes a, a unique model and sets up the students I believe yeah uh, for a successful um, student experience as well as establishing community for even their future ministers
0: so you've also got discipleship and mentoring going on right at the same time there it, that's a pretty cool um, yes approach uh, so all right we're talking about the doctrines of grace we're talking about Calvinism and so Brian you you're the you're the history guy here you've got a lot of letters after your name you spent uh, years and years studying this um, what do you say when people say well you know what I don't like Calvinism because um, I don't like John Calvin or I don't, I don't think that people should be worshipping John Calvin. Right uh, and I've, I've heard that before and uh, you, you
1: read about that and there's actually uh, many books written uh, against Calvinism and, and uh, have the arguments of you know, we shouldn't be using that term because uh, uh, it's not helpful for several reasons. And that, that's at least what i And I would, as a historian, immediately jump in and say what Calvin is writing and teaching in his context of the 16th century is a recovery of the early church fathers. And that's really what the Reformation as a whole, John Calvin, um, Martin Luther... Uh, Philip Melanchthon, all these reformers in Europe in the 16th century are teaching what we call the doctrines of grace, yeah. reformed theology, reformed doctrines, and what the Reformation is, what Calvin is trying to do is recovering these lost, hidden, so to speak uh, doctrines that were taught by the early church fathers, like Chrysostom and uh, August Augustine um, uh, Gregory of Nanzian, and so forth. These these doctrines were lost during the Middle Ages because of the of the teachings of the Catholic mm. medieval Catholic Church with with semi-Pelagianism and Pelagianism. And uh, when Calvin and others come in come to scene in the sixteenth century, they recover what was lost. So to say that the doctrines of grace equals Calvinism is not. We have to we have to give some caveats. And to sure. really teased it out what that looks like and and, and why I say the this I'm going go all the way back to the early church fathers, the yeah. second, third century church. So this is not you know you know go back to augustine augustine is is really the the core of this. and when I talk about as, as a reform as, as a lover of the Reformation as a Reformation scholar, I always emphasize that this is a recovery of Augustine. All the reformers, when they write from Luther to Thomas Beacon to to John Knox,
0: they're constantly quoting and referring back to Augustine as well as other early church fathers. So I'm glad to hear you say Augustine and not Augustine. Um, that, that this proves that you're, you're a legitimate scholar and uh, learned man, so I, I, I appreciate that. Uh, but Let's talk about Augustine a little more because kind of this is, uh, a lot of people look back and, and I know Calvin looked back at his debates with Pelagius and so the, long before we had Calvin and Arminius, uh, who, who never actually debated, uh, but uh, before that was a thing, we did have several debates between Augustine and Pelagius uh, concerning some of these same issues. Yes, yeah, so, so Pelagius
1: uh, really emphasized the importance of, or the primacy of human effort in salvation and uh, he was declared uh, unorthodox by councils and Augustine really um, deals with this in his confessions where he emphasizes the doctrine of divine grace and God's sovereignty and salvation Um, and they both interact with each other in writing, Uh, we know this both Augustine and Pelagius and Augustine really responds to Pelagius by saying this is you are wrong, Pelagius. God is sovereign in all things. God is sovereign in salvation, uh, predestination, election, and if there's no human effort and I, uh, um, at all. This is this is God who initiates everything in salvation um, from beginning to end. And um, if you read Confessions, Augustine is really clear on this. Mm. Of course, he's not talking about Pelagius, so to speak, but Confessions just breathes doctrines of grace and reform yeah. theology so to speak even before the term is coined uh so yes uh augustine is i think really to be credited here and looked at from this point of sovereign grace and, and divine um action salvation even before calvin
0: uh um, in order to understand calvin correctly i got to must historically understand augustine correctly right and so again we're, we're talking about the major issue is salvation sometimes when we talk about these issues, we get wrapped up in predestination, election, things like that, which are all related. But the big issue is, does man have um, a a work, I almost call it a work to do when it comes to salvation? Can I earn my salvation or do I get, am I uh, somehow involved in more than a passive way when it comes to... Um, embracing the gospel. Why would I embrace the gospel and someone else doesn't? Is it because I have the right sense of mind to choose this for myself, and someone else doesn't, or is there something more at play? And we see that, yeah, God, God has to work that with within us. We're gonna, we're gonna extrapolate that um, further as we go on. Uh, so you mentioned, all right, we have the early church fathers, we have Augustine, and. Through you know the period of the Dark Ages and all, there's a lot of corruption that that creeps into the church, little by little. And by the time the 1500s roll around, you've got Luther, you've got Calvin, you've got the other reformers, who you say are trying to reclaim what was lost, not invent something new. Uh, these guys didn't right. want to start a new denomination or a new church, but they wanted to reclaim what once was a part of that church. So tell us how. How did John Calvin become associated with these things? Yes. Uh, Calvin,
1: his eloquence, his style, his pastoral influence in Geneva as well as in Europe was strongly felt in the 16th century. And because of that strong force, not necessarily his personality, we, we understand from reading and understanding from various witnesses, he's actually a very introverted character. Yeah, But his writings are so powerful that they influence the English Reformation, the Scottish Reformation, of course, and other, uh, the French Reformation, um, because he's French. Uh, his ideas really permeate because of the printing press in the 16th century. His ideas really influence mm. those Reformations I just mentioned in Dutch Reformation too, of course. And speaking of Dutch Reformation, the Dutch Reformation really takes on this idea of Calvinistic thinking, which leads yeah. up, and uh, we'll talk about I'm sure, in a moment, to the Senate of Dort. But Calvin's voice and influence was felt all across Europe, and because of that, he was very well respected. And so the doctrines of grace, as we call them today, uh, were really influential, for example, in the English and Scottish Reformations where Thomas Cranmer, Thomas Beacon, John Knox, uh, John Jewell were all influenced by Calvin's thinking um, in, in, while they're, they're either quoting Calvin or they are paraphrasing Calvin when it comes in terms of total depravity, uh, election, predestination, reprobation, these terms. Uh, these men in England, Scotland, and France are all speaking in Calvin's language. Yeah. Uh, so it's yeah. interesting historically I think, how, how Calvin becomes so influential it's always hard in history to trace influence but I can say as a historian there, there's definitely um, uh, there's definitely cross-pollination going on, yeah. all the reformations in Europe are cross-pollinating one another they're influencing one another because of the printing press because of letter writing and so we know that Calvin is a seminal figure and he is writing, communicating with Edward VI, King Edward VI in England he's communicating with all the other reformers, and they are just um, drinking basically at the well of Calvin of mm. uh, biblical sovereignty. Uh, and so, because of that influence, that eventually
0: leads to uh, the synod of York. Alright, so, um, being a Reformation scholar, I, you, you, our, our my Skype thing isn't working, so you can't see me, but I, I'm you can just imagine me holding a copy of uh, Calvin's Institutes. On what page can I find where he clearly uh, lays out defines the five points. Well,
1: he doesn't he, at all, in his, in his work, he does not give the, what we call tulip now, which right. is actually not coined until the uh, 1930s, early 1930s by Lorraine Burtner, uh, but no, he does not give a here's the five points. It's in his actual teachings, in his actual way he teases out God, divine sovereignty, and salvation uh, is clearly what we call the doctrines of grace, yeah. or, and, and the five points are obviously are not going to be um, coined or um, uh, documented until 1617 16, 1618,
0: 16, yeah. or 16, and 19, excuse me, in the Sin of the So, Calvin didn't come up with these five points, they're more just kind of uh, I don't even want to say a summary, but some things that you can find in his overall body of work. And, and and ministry. So it wasn't just I came up with this little system, um, but this is kind of a summary. And if if I'm if I'm correct in my understanding of church history, it wasn't until uh, Arminius, com- Jacob Arminius comes along, and his followers, the Remonstrants, who study uh, under uh, Calvin's successor there in Geneva, um, uh, Beza, uh, Theodore Beza, and they begin to have some differences in what he was teaching from from calvin and so um really what we start to see as the five points or what we start to see uh as calvinism comes not from calvin or, or even beza but from arminius and his Remonstrants, who are showing their disagreement that is absolutely correct yes yeah, so the way the the reason why we have the
1: quote five points of calvinism or the five Head of doctrine as an official term of the synod of door or the ends of door, the five, yeah. the, 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 the five uh, heads of doctrine, is because they were a response to the five articles of remonstrance uh, of 1610. So it was the Arminians, the disciples of uh, Arminius that uh, codified their five articles of remonstrance, uh, which would be the classic five points of Arminianism as we, as we call it today. And the Calvinists, the Dutch Calvinists, respond in their Dort Synod, the Synod of Dort, 1618 and 19, uh, with their five points. And so that's why we have the five points. These are not five points that, that Calvin wrote at all. Right. So it was just was we just acknowledged. Um, but these were five points of these uh, Calvinists in in uh, the Dutch Republic that responded point by point. And this is what you would do in, in classical rhetoric. Yeah. That in the 17th century. You would answer your critics point by point. And what the what the Dutch Calvinists do is with each head of doctrine, they have articles. Like, for example, the first head of doctrine is 18 articles. And then they end with nine rejections hmm. for the first head. And each, each head has a certain number of articles and a certain number of rejections. Answering each point of the Arminians point by point to make a, with scriptural proof to make sure they cover every single thing. That was written in the Five Articles of Remonstrance in
0: 1610. Okay, so tell us a little bit more about uh, the Synod of Dort and, and how that became uh, really a, a crucial point in understanding uh, some of this, and it would kind of uh, almost de- define the the, uh, the disagreements, define the, the the argument today.
1: Yes. So the brief. Context right before sixteen eighteen and sixteen nineteen actually goes fifteen years off the back of fifteen years and gives us a brief sketch. What happens is the theological controversy starts with uh, Jacobus or Jacobus Arminius, um, and he was a professor theology professor at Leiden University, and he gets into a uh, argument with another theology prof- theology professor at Leiden named Franciscus Gomarus. Gomarus was a Calvinist. Uh, and a supporter of Calvin's doctrine of, of sovereignty and predestination. And they get this controversy, and this leads to a series of debates between the two men between the year 1605 and 1609 regarding predestination specifically. Hmm. And after Arminius dies in 1609, 43 of his ministerial followers, uh, called the uh drafted and presented their views, as we just called the five articles of Remonstrance, 1610. And so that's a year, drafted a year after Arminius's death. Um, after they published that, submitted that in 1610, um, the Remonstrants tried to make some uh, reconciliation politically. They were um, isolated, they were um, persecuted in many cases in the Dutch Republic during this time, because the Dutch Republic had calvinistic leanings. So in 1618, they appealed for uh, um, kindness and treatment from the Dutch government. Uh, and that led to the Synod of Dort, where the Synod of Dort met together to decide what we're going to deal with this Calvinist-Arminian problem. It actually almost led a civil war in the republic. Hmm. That's how that's how brutally um, heated this debate was between the Calvinists and Arminians at this time. But because of this this sticking point of predestination, they called together uh, the Synod of Dort um, between uh, 16, November 1618. And may 1619 by the way we just celebrated i should point out as a historian here hmm. we just celebrate 400 years of this the end of it yeah um 1619 now it's 2019. Uh, they had 154 formal sessions uh between wow. uh, these two groups lots of sessions between uh these two years and there's only 13 armenian remonstrant theologians that that met together uh while most of the others were calvinists that met. But at the end of the session 1619, the Calvinists drafted this document called the the, uh, the canons of Dort, which you have five heads of doctrine, followed by the articles for each one and the rejections, uh, rejecting the, um, the the exact five points or five articles that are in the sprints. So that's a little bit of the mm-hmm. context and the background uh, of that document.
0: All right, so this is this has been going on for quite some time, and again we would we would make the. The, the case that this is not merely historical but, but biblical there's a reason why god's people have been talking about this for so long it's because it's 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 been here as long as god has revealed it revealed it to us in his holy word and so uh, brian i'm, I'm kind of curious um was this something that you struggled with early on i cause I, I know my myself um uh, when first presented with these ideas uh i wasn't ready to, to just embrace it There they're uh, objections I had, and it just didn't seem right until God had to kind of change my heart and, and open my eyes to what the scriptures had to say. I'm kind of curious, did, did you go through any sort of uh, uh, process to where God uh, brought you to this understanding? I did slightly, many years ago, um,
1: where I uh, wrestled with just a couple of these um Doctrines, especially predestination, was one for sure. Uh, even a little bit divine election. Um, I would say it was not a, a long struggle or a long <laughs> wrestling, but um, but God I, really helped me uh, through the scriptures as I studied the scriptures and, stu- and studied the actual, um, you know, Christ words, uh, and 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 the Apostle Paul, of course, in the New Testament. Um, the Spirit really opened my eyes to see that this is. This is not just man's innovation. This is not Calvin's innovation. This is not Augustine's creation of this five points of Calvinism. This is totally biblical. And mm. You see God's sovereignty, for example, written all across uh, redemptive history from Genesis to Revelation. Uh, you see uh, election uh, and total depravity and perseverance of the saints. This is written very clearly in the scriptures um, and, and, and teased out from from. Uh, from Jesus Christ himself to Paul, mm. and, and I think it's unmistakable. This is this is biblical teaching, and uh, and I think, as, again, histo- as Speaking as a theologian and historian, I'm um, I'm in awe to see how God has preserved that biblical orthodoxy. What we call now five points of Calvinism all throughout history. It's been yeah. it's been confirmed and affirmed over and over again. Um, from the beginning, early church, through the 19th century, see, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, one of the greatest defenders
0: of of, of, of defying sovereignty and God's election. So Wait, Charles Paul. Spurgeon couldn't have been a Calvinist because he wrote a book about soul winning. Yes. Yeah. Uh, but... <laughs> yeah, Spur- <laughs> Spurgeon's greatest defender of it, and going mm.
1: to, in the 20th century, uh, DM Mar- Martin Lloyd jones uh and, and others like of course we used to talk about church right. churches
0: well and we're going to be taking the next five weeks and going through each of these points uh one by one we have different pastors and different authors uh joining us for that and then uh we're going to air a panel discussion i hosted uh, a little while back with uh several different viewpoints a, a calvinist a armenian also a, a lutheran pastor mixing it up and then we're going to do something dangerous. We're going to let uh, our co-host, Ray, who is an Armenian, he's going to give us a, a counterbalance. And then at the end of this, this series, Ray and I are going to have it out uh, mano a mano right here on the air. And uh, we'll see who's left standing uh, after that. But of course, it's going to be a respectful discussion. Anyway, uh, so I hope you'll tune in for all of that. So Brian, thanks for joining us. And we normally end each podcast talking about some recommended resources. We mentioned... Uh, Calvin's Institutes. we talked about Augustine's uh, Confessions. Are there any other books that, that jump to your mind that would be helpful in, in studying this out a little more?
1: I would say that recently the um, Baker I think it was Baker Publishing uh, published, there's a there, they have a series called uh, Five Views series where mm, you yes. go, there's different views of uh, various theologies and there was one written, I, I think published five, six, seven years ago uh, that goes through spectrums of Calvinism, Arminianism so forth um, and some of the key figures theologians uh, kind of weigh in and mm. kind of debate each other within a book about 150, 200 pages um, so I highly recommend that, that was very helpful when I read that about five or six years ago um, and then I would say just any any good biography of of Calvin is always helpful he's so, he's definitely misrepresented mm. and his character is often assassinated uh, Bruce
0: Well Gordon, that's because he killed somebody else right No I mean, was that? That's because he killed somebody else he killed Cervantes, right we'll, we'll get right. We'll, we'll we'll talk that's about that later that's been quite a bit. Yeah. yeah
1: he's often uh, But a, a good biography good historical biography such as Bruce Gordon um for someone like that is is very helpful to get the full facts of what Calvin is about in his heart for history.
0: Well thank you very much and, and two other books we want to mention before you leave. Uh Waiting on the Spirit of Promise, A Life in Theology of Suffering through Abraham Shear, um and uh Reformation of the Commonwealth, Thomas Beacon and The Politics of Evangelical Change in Tudor England. Those are two books that you've written, so we'll uh post those up there as well so for everyone to uh get, and so, uh, Brian, hopefully we'll, uh, we'll bump you up on the New York Times best-selling list uh, as soon as this airs. Well,
1: that sounds great. Thank
0: you. And Brian, we also want to, you, you're an assistant professor of study here at, at Bethlehem, but here at the, the Basic Bible Podcast, we want to promote you to uh, Distinguished Chair of, of Church History uh, and Biblical Study here at our podcast, so congratulations. Well,
1: thank you.
0: But the, uh, the salary at Bethlehem is going to be a lot better than what we, what we pay. <laughs> all right. Well, thank you all for, thank you all for listening. And uh, we'll have links to the, all of those resources on our, on our website. So check that out, at www.basicbiblepodcast.org. And uh, join us back. Next week, we'll have Pastor Tom Buck. We're going to be jumping right into total depravity. So until next time, have a great rest of your week.